It's episode 5 of the More Than Just Code podcast. This week we discuss preventing your naked photos from becoming overexposed. We take out our crystal balls and make predictions for the September 9th announcement from Apple. Disney presents their latest work, Attack of the Clones. And Mark channels Tom Waits and asks, what's he building in there? Hey everybody, welcome to the uh, More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello. And I'm joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we're also joined by Mark Rubin in San Jose, California. Hello. So, okay, so who wants to jump in on a topic, first of all? Are you going to leave me hanging? Yeah, we're totally going to leave you hanging. You know, <laughs> given, given the pre-show before we started recording, Tim, I think you really need to get yeah, something you off too. your chest. <laughs> I guess the first topic I wanted to bring up was obviously the, the latest quote-unquote iCloud hack of celebrity nude photos and its effect on you know, Apple's reputation, Apple's stock price, the backlash against people publishing uh, these kind of images. Uh, the author of Technocreep, author... Thomas Keenan was interviewed on CBC yesterday, and he was talking about how apparently um, just the act of going and getting these images, hacking them off of somebody's computer or even sourcing them is a crime in the United States, as well as it's a crime to redistribute this kind of um, imagery. And I think the, the, the backlash against the stars, as, you, as it were, about their uh, about allowing themselves to to be so quote unquote stupid to have their passwords be weak passwords and their questions be uh, to be able, to be hackable. Um, the fact that people were backlashing against them negates the whole concept that these women were their privacy was violated. And you know it's a, it's akin to somebody breaking into your house and rifling through your drawers. That's what happens is you know somebody breaks into your house and they have full access to all your stuff and. It's kind of a unsettling feeling to have, you know, all of your stuff be touched, you know, and, and that's sort of the closest we as men could ever come to, to knowing what it's like for a woman to, to have her privacy violated. It's sort of like um, we treat people as other. Um, and this is, this is a, a social phenomenon uh, about how when you have a, a way to distance yourself from other people to make them strangers in society... And the easiest way to do that, or the most applicable audience for that, are celebrities, right? We don't, or not we, but <laughs> many people, unfortunately, don't regard them as, as human beings, but mm -hmm. as, as projections of their own desires. And um, I think that's part of the reason why um, this, this material is so compelling to certain uh, mis misinformed men. <laughs> right. Um, you know, to exploit them in such a way and to uh, to target them uh, and to spread that material is, you know, obviously not not a, a healthy thing to be doing, um, but it's, you know, immoral and, as your author points out, uh, illegal, too. Right. Yeah, one of, the, one of the stars, in fact, was under 18, so distributing her images is basically child pornography, if you think about it. Um, I mean, it, it, there was a story a few months ago or maybe six months ago um, on our, one of our radio stations here about 
the fact that um, some, you know, I, I mean, you probably have this in the States too, is that, some, you know, a couple of girls, you know, um, put a, put an image up on, on the social network or sent it to their boyfriend or whatever. And it made it, made it around the schools. And eventually every, you know, through just gross embarrassment, these girls uh, unfortunately took their own lives. And, um, the thing that what the students didn't realize is that just by sending these pictures to each other, like they're high school students, they're obviously under 18, just by sending pictures to each other, they're, they're perpetuating child pornography and they could technically be charged for that. Right. So, well, you know, there's the social angle, right, which you're discussing and we're discussing. Um, mm-hmm. But there's the technical angle. And since we're nerds. <laughs> okay. So um, I think it, it was initially reported that this was an, a problem with iCloud. And uh, that just seemed unlikely. Um, and we've seen reports coming out since that, well, Apple themselves reported that this is not a problem with iCloud, that it was a problem almost certainly with weak passwords. Um, and the fact that it was a, a targeted and sustained attack to get uh-huh. this material um and it hasn't it hasn't just happened uh this this is stuff that's probably been gathered over the course of months if not years right um and so when people are, are like news agencies are reporting on this they're talking about it as if it's iCloud and it's 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 not iCloud it's just uh garden variety uh poor passwords and social engineering uh in order to get this stuff um so you know, I think it's important to at least recognize that um, when people are saying, you know, don't use iCloud, um, we can all recognize that maybe iCloud doesn't work properly. <laughs> but um, we shouldn't not use iCloud because we're afraid of being hacked. I was reading about on the post on The Verge about, um, he was talking about a, a guy named Christopher Cheney who basically broke into about 50 email accounts to, to steal nude photos and then and then uh, forward them around to people. Once they found out about it, they charged him and he's in, been put in jail for 10 years for, uh, for publishing that stuff. And that was a little while ago. I think it's a good warning for people, you know, not just about photos, but about everything, including financial information. I mean, if someone really wants to target your particular account, there's not a whole lot you can do if they're willing to spend the time and effort to to just try, you know, millions of passwords, which can be done. The technology's there. Uh, yeah. So I, I think it's a good, uh, you know, good warning to people that changing passwords isn't just a, a joke and an annoying thing. It's it's really an important thing to do. Yeah, and you don't wait till your local supplier's been, been hacked. Like there was a story today about Home Depot apparently um, being hacked and, and a whole bunch of credit card information in the United States and Canada being um, exploited. But um, and it's 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 funny. I, we once had our house inspected, and we were talking to the. Uh, we moved into downtown Toronto. You know, we were coming in from the suburbs, and, and there's always a perception. You know, when you move into the city, that you know you're you're more susceptible to break-ins and that kind of stuff. The house inspector gave me the best piece of advice he could. He said basically, locks keep honest crooks out, right? And I use that expression a lot with people when they start talking about passwords or or the reality. I've run mail servers, and I've watched the logs and you know, mail servers and web servers and stuff like that and, and actually been able to watch the logs and watch people try and break into those servers 24-7, like unrelentingly. You know? Yeah, they're scripts. They're, they're attacking uh, all the servers. Sure. So, looking for so, specific weaknesses. Uh, maybe we should have a plug for uh, our buddies up here in Toronto at Agile Bits who wrote a, an application called 1Password that basically installs onto your Mac, onto your iPad, onto your iPhone, 
and allows you to um, store in a digital wallet um, your all of your passwords. So, and I started using it about you know six months ago because I don't just manage my own passwords; I manage hundreds of other people's passwords too. And um, it's hard to keep track of that stuff. And you know, you, you try not to write it down in a journal, but at the end of the day, you have to, to sort of keep your memory straight. So, one password has been great for that point of view because now I have access to information no matter where I am because I, as long as I have my master password, I can get into this one password. I can get into this stuff. And I was reading the other day, I think they, they tweeted that they can even store your security questions that you, uh, that you might need to, if you forgot your password for whatever reason. Well, that's uh, always been there. Um, you can store notes along with your password. Right. Um, this is something that I've, I've been doing for years. Uh, so you make, you, the, the bank poses you three security questions. Um, you come up with gibberish answers using the password generator and one password oh, really? uh, <laughs> and store them along with the, the question. And yeah. so whenever you go back to the website and they ask you one of these questions, you just crack open one password and uh, pull out the gibberish answer and supply it. Well, uh, and it's, it's an interesting point, too, because I, I, I thought it was great when I heard a friend of mine tell me that once, he, you know, when, when he gets something like, what's your grandmother's name? He says, I put down purple because no one would ever guess that that is his grandmother's name because it's ridiculous, <laughs> right? Whereas your However, grandmother's name is actually pretty easily found out if somebody really wants it. Well, that said, yeah. but but if you if you put down purple in you know because you think you're you think you're being wise, and you're not because the scripts that actually go to hack the passwords are using dictionary attacks a lot of the time, and they'll eventually come across purple and unlock your account, right? So or unlock your and kind of access to your stuff. Do you guys use yes. Apple's uh, password randomizer? No. no. Well, actually, no. one of the good things about about this app is is it sits up in your browser. You can it's an application one password I'm talking about. It actually does generate passwords for you. And then when you use a password on a on a site, for instance, and you forget, oh, geez, I forgot to write down that password to make a note of it. It actually keeps track of which randomized passwords you used, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a little. It's got a little formula in there. I, I know what you mean about the the password key thing that that shows up when you try to create a password on your Mac. Right. Uh, it's a similar similar type technology. It, it just randomizes the. So. Yeah, and it's all stored in your keychain, so you have access to it with your with your main password. Yeah. The only problem that I've seen with it is that it doesn't work for apps, obviously, because apps don't look in the keychain for a password. Well, let me tell you this. Apparently, one password has an API that's going to work in iOS 8 to allow third parties to use one password to store passwords. Isn't that correct, Aaron? That is absolutely correct. Um, yeah, so, so they've got an API, and they've uh, just announced today they've got a whack of developers who are ready with support for iOS 8 when it comes out. Um, They've got an iOS 8 extension that uh, will allow you to to access your 1Password vault uh, from any app or or web browser session that supports it. Um, So when iOS 8 comes out, you're going to have much tighter integration with 1Password. Um, On the Mac, it's really terrific because uh, it's got browser extensions um, so that you can... Uh, automatically log into a site just by pressing command slash on your keyboard, uh, backslash rather, and um, command backslash. I'll try that. Yeah, try command backslash on any login form. Oh my and, goodness, look at that! It works. Yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. <laughs> if you're not using one password and you know anything about computers, you're not hooked up right. So, so go go get it and just yeah. You know, don't waste time. Do it right now. Pause stop this po- podcast. Stop, yeah, stop the podcast now, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, by the way, it's, it's spelled one the number one password dot yeah, com. It's right? com, and I think one password dot com works too. Yeah, I think so. Uh, great product, great people. Go get and it. And installs installs in Safari and 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 um, what's all, all browsers, Firefox. Or, 
Well, they, they've got this, um, I think we've spoken about this before in terms of business models, about um, being broad and supporting everything. So they're on Ooh. iOS, Mac, Android, Windows. Um, I'm not sure if they have Windows Phone, but uh, that may only be a matter of time. Right, yeah. Great product. Anyway, I, I know that I know I've talked to them, talked to you about it before, Mark. And and um, mm-hmm. but there you go. That's that's our pitch on One Password. Sounds like you guys <laughs> are shareholders. We should be. <laughs> we, they should be sponsoring this podcast, and I'll be sending out a tweet after this show to see if they will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, an, another bit of technology that can be used uh, where applicable, in, in addition to something like a One Password, is uh, two-factor authentication. Right, because yeah. one password handles the you know what what is your password. But having some other thing, so beyond just the what do you know, but what do you have, is also pretty valuable. Well, it's it's an interesting point. Like I do that, I know I do that on Facebook and a couple of other places where um, every time I log in from, even if I log in from the simulator when I'm testing something, Facebook sends me an email saying somebody tried to log into your account from here. Is that what you mean by that, Jaime? Or or the one where you use your cell phone as a as a verification model. Uh, more the latter. So the, the kind where you uh, either get an SMS message uh, after you enter in your password from something uh-huh. like a Gmail or Outlook.com uh, or also having um, uh, Google's Authenticator app is something that I've been using with Gmail and Outlook, and it's worked really, really well. The only problem is the setup, right? Like it's, it's very complicated to set up uh, for that first time. Yeah, um, it's not exactly intuitive. They, they've done a lot with the Authenticator app to make it better um in that you go in say yes i would like to use two-factor authentication with gmail and it shows you a little bit of a uh, a qr code and then you take the app <laughs> and you scan the qr code with your camera and it says oh okay well here's this long digit set of digits right. that, that corresponds to that so you don't have to type it in but it's it's not exactly uh, you know click click and you're done there's no it's a little bit more of an advanced activity Apple has 2FA for iCloud as well. I don't know quite the details about how it works, but uh, apparently there's a three-day waiting period between the time you sign up and activate it and it actually going into effect. iCloud? iCloud, yeah. Really? That was the part that was a little confusing. So I know I set up two-factor authentication with my um, my Apple IDs. So uh, oh, right, yeah. like for the developer program, at least for, for iOS, I do recall it taking a few days before you finally get the, hey, you've been accepted into this special club sort of thing. And hmm. from what I recall, all it protected was changing critical details like, you know, credit card information and, and maybe, you know, looking at your, your account information that says where your, um, your telephone number and other things. Um, but I, I don't recall it being available for iCloud. And that was part of the confusion going on in the press this week as to whether the two-factor authentication actually was uh, covering uh, or protecting the iCloud restores. So if I had an iPhone and I just put in my username and password that I figured out, can I use you know Jennifer Lawrence's iPhone? There's some speculation that that was true, but I, I honestly don't know. I've not tried it out with a random iPhone to see if I could use my own account and stuff. To stick your, your iCloud account on another machine, you mean? Yeah. So so right now the one of the current bits of speculation that I saw probably earlier today was that you know after you've cracked the the information in order to get what you want with iCloud in this scenario, supposedly not being covered by two-factor authentication, uh, unlike the, the Apple IDs. Um, now that you have that information, you just get a new iPhone, do the, the iCloud restore, 
And now I've got, you know, all the access to the photo stream and whatnot. That was, I hadn't really thought about this until you just mentioned it, but I back my iTunes, my phones and my iPads and everything up to a machine at home. I don't, and it's backed up as well, but I don't, I don't use the iCloud uh, backup portion. I always thought it was a bit of a money grab for Apple, to be honest with you. You know, it is we, for now, but it, it'll stop being when iOS 8 comes out, I think. How do you um, mean? Well, they're lowering their prices on storage for iCloud, so it's going to be a lot more affordable. Yeah, so like $2 a month for like 20 gigs, um, which I think is pretty reasonable. Anywho, I've pasted into the chat uh, a, an article from Macworld about setting up 2FA for iCloud. Um, it doesn't have... That's um, two-factor authentication for those sorry, who don't use acronyms. Two-factor authentication. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we pay by the, by the kilobyte here on this podcast, so I'm trying to shorten things up. It includes a video and some instructions on on how to set it up. Um, so it, it, it exists. Um, but like Jaime said, we're not sure exactly what it covers um, mm. in iCloud. Um, so there's there's a, there's a lot of fuzzy stuff around around uh, authentication on iCloud. Well, it also it also comes down to like what Mark was saying about it's about making intelligent choices about the content you're storing. That the, the the reality is, is that that most users, like I said last week, about you know people just use their phone as a phone. They don't really understand what's going on on the device, and they they put a lot of they just put some casual faith into into what's going on. Like they'll post things to Facebook and oh hey I was drunk at this party last week, and then they don't realize two years later they they get turned down for a job because of that posting, you know. Or in the case of photography, you know, you take some pictures you think are innocent, whatever, and, you know, it's out there in the cloud. Wasn't there a movie about this a couple of months ago, about the movie about them releasing some sex video up into the cloud, right? Um, and that was the, the basis of an entire movie. Ironically, <laughs> you know, just before, in front of the uh, celebrity nude photo, quote-unquote, hack, right? Um, the, what amazing thing to me is I used to work, as you guys know, uh, on a social networking app for college students. And mm-hmm. uh, it, one of the, the features was an anonymous posting feature. And it, it just amazed me what people were willing to post of themselves with with mm-hmm. really no second thought whatsoever about what they were posting up there. And, and more than a little alcohol involved. Uh, sometimes, yeah. But sometimes you could tell from the pictures that, no, I mean, it was, you know, there, this was clearly planned. Uh, and uh, yes, everything was ephemeral. Everything disappeared. Everything was anonymous. But you know, in the real world, we know better than that, right? These things get out. Yeah. So, so was was the app's intention that that um, content would be public when it was when made available in the app, or or how are you? No, no. It, it's it's a closed network, uh, mm-hmm. so only college students uh, were allowed on there, and it was right. it was uh, done by campus. So for the most part you would only see what was posted by people on your campus. Uh, but, so, yeah, but so if, somebody put, if somebody put a compromising picture up there, you could definitely see it. Absolutely. Part of that. Oh, absolutely, wow. absolutely. And, uh, of course... The, I'm shaking the post, my head. You can't hear it, but I'm shaking my head. Yeah, yeah, the posts were ephemeral. They disappeared over time, but there was no way to stop someone from taking a picture of what was on their phone, right, sure, uh, with, sure. another, with another camera. So it, it, it really did amaze me just what people were willing to, to put up there uh, thinking that it was it was completely secret and private. Wow. Well, and this is one of the things I talk to people about all the time. I, you know, obviously I do a lot of consulting with clients, and and sometimes you get into situations where we're talking about things that shouldn't get out into the public. Maybe we're working on a new app idea, and and you want to keep it, you know, under under wraps for a while. And I'll encourage them. They'll you know they'll initially contact me on Skype or Facebook or LinkedIn even, and and they're surprised when I sort of suggest to them once we start getting you know 
get rolling that I say, well, why don't you contact me on my, on my personal email because I don't want to have this conversation on a social network. And the reality is I've worked on a number of apps in my lifetime and number server-based things. And you, you don't know what the, the people who are managing the servers are, are able to access, you know? So again, it could be some, I'm not saying that this happened in the case of Apple and iCloud, but, but with, you know, and I'm not bad mouthing Facebook or net or LinkedIn. I'm sure they're all wonderful guys and, you know, and would never compromise somebody's data, but on a lot of social network apps that you see out there, you have no idea where the stuff is. I saw a posting today that somebody had said that a lot of people don't realize that, that just because an app is on iOS, it may not be using iCloud for storage. Yeah, I think it's 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 rare that it that it that an app does use iCloud these days. I mean, that may change in the future, but these days, I think uh, either you know private servers or or things like AWS or or, or Azure sure. are much more common. Right, right, and and, it, and we made a comment about it earlier in the podcast that that iCloud doesn't work. And I think what a, I've heard a lot of developers saying that you know that if they tried to use core data with iCloud, things weren't as didn't run as well as they thought they should. You know, um, so then they they kind of laughed about it. But I, I kind of think in this case, Apple's being blamed a little bit unfairly, uh, and and are being a victim of their own success because. Uh, well, well, certainly for photos, right? That with the photo, shared photo streams and all that, and the backups, uh, just the fact that more people are using Apple devices, uh, especially people, you know, celebrities tend to be well-off and trendy type people, so they're more likely to be using Apple devices than anything else. So sure. they're more likely to have their data in iCloud than anywhere else. So, right. so it just so that it's just from a probability point of view, the chances of someone's data being on iCloud uh, when it was found out is higher mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. It, so it's 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 not really it's apple being a victim of their own success in some sense that's true and, and it brings around to a, a topic i was talking about before is that we can't we can't seem to in this day and age um control what people do once the information gets out into the wild i mean people will continue to perpetuate it and, and uh, spread it around until it becomes socially unacceptable to do so you know today the joke going around on Twitter was that, you know, you, maybe you shouldn't be looking at those images and maybe you shouldn't be clicking on them and, and publishing them unless you're, you know, a member of the FBI or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it turns quickly turns into a joke when, when two days ago people were giggling as they passed the images around, you know? Yeah, um, it, it's interesting that people are attacking Apple for this, but no one's really attacking, say, Twitter. Culture. For or allowing culture. <laughs> people to, well, yes, yes. But just from a technology point of view, you know, if people yeah. were sharing these on Twitter or on, on Facebook or any other social network. Actually, uh, I heard I heard a lot of it was happening on Reddit, too. Let's, okay. Yep. Let's throw them under the bus while we're at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's because apparently Reddit is, is uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, I think, I mean, and, and uh, Aaron, you may know more about Reddit than I do, but apparently it's um, it's got a certain level of an anonymity to it. Is that not correct? Silence. Silence. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It does have some measure of anonymity and that it, and this is actually from a, a Verge article, but it's something that I do recall them having and that it's generally anything goes, you know, as long as you're on topic, which is a constant problem. Um, but you, you can't post child pornography, nor right. can you post personal information. But right. it, it, with regard to at least the latter bit, that seems to generally not be, you know, well regarded as a rule or well respected mm. as a rule when it becomes to celebrities oh really okay mm. well, as you know i i work with a couple of celebrities you know in canada and a couple in the states and um 
they are believe it or not regular people and they're you know they're just people right you know and uh unfortunately they they have stalkers and you know it's a problem for them and and you know they worry you know even even some of the tougher guys i know who happen to be celebrities get worried about from time to time about about uh what could possibly happen to them right so i think the nut of it is that men really need to learn that um, that there are, there are cultural mores that they need to pick up on um, and to respect other people as much as they would the people that they know personally instead of treating them as, as others. And that's well, yeah, I mean, what it always comes back to. Yeah. Okay, well, apparently next week Apple is going to be uh, – they've already announced and sent out invitations to the media on September 9th, as everybody knows, that there's going to be some major announcement, uh, whether it's going to be something you wear on your wrist or something you put in your pocket or something you have to get a wheelbarrow to carry around. Um, do you guys have any predictions for what you're going to see on September 9th from Apple? Apple, Apple. You've heard of them, right? You've heard of them, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't know specifically about the products, but I will say, uh, you know, being here in Silicon Valley, one thing, there's a lot of buzz right now. Uh, and in fact, uh, on uh, there's a local community college, the Anza College, that's just a block or so away from Apple's campus, uh, which is where they're going to be doing the event. They've actually built, Apple has built a, a big white building right in front of the, the Flint Center, which is the sort of the auditorium uh, for, the, for the college. And the whole area, I, I drove by just to take a look, the whole area is fenced off. They've got security people every, every 20 feet around the perimeter of mm-hmm. this thing. That's so, fantastic. So something big is, is happening. I mean, they don't do this every time. Uh, close. So I, I don't know. I don't and know. Your, your prediction you said yesterday was it's 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 almost as big as Moscone West. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, yesterday I was saying it's it's not as big as as Moscone. It's not as big as, oh, as okay. that kind right. of thing. However, are you talking about the seating capacity of the, the seating Center? capacity? The seating capacity. Yeah, yeah, it's, much it's, larger it's, than their normal venues. Absolutely. What, yes. Yeah, yes. Like twenty seven hundred. And as I said, they they built a whole freestanding building right in front. Whatever right. that's all about. It strikes me as so odd that they they would do that, but um, it makes me actually uh, more certain about the introduction of a wearable, um, which has been speculated widely. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it feels like a part of it is to do with uh, the home. Sorry, is that home play? Mm-hmm. Home automation, the home kit. Yeah, home kit. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, it feels like uh, some kind of uh, live action demonstration of of a home kit. Uh, system and uh, it it leads me to think that if if Apple is indeed demonstrate or introducing a wearable, which seems really likely at this point, that they will be able to use this this model house as a way to show how HomeKit can be used throughout the home. We're not getting a very good angle on what the, what it is this building is. Yep. My first thought was that it was a stage actually. Um, but uh, what do you think, Mark? You saw it himself. Yeah, well, you know, the, the pictures are about as close as I could get because the security was so tight. Unfortunately, I couldn't get any closer. Uh, and there really isn't much to see. I think that's intentional on their part. But it's positioned, which you can't tell from the pictures, it's positioned literally within 30 feet of the front entrance to the Flint Center, which is a big stage auditorium with, with seating. So if they were just planning some kind of, presentation with the press sitting in in seats as, as usual they wouldn't need this so so Aaron, i think I, I i agree with your idea that there's there's something interactive going on in that building or will be going on in that building maybe people can wander around and, and look at things and 
and uh, it, you know, it seems like Apple would do this so that they could really show off what the products are close up. So, Mark, how how would the the press would normally go in through the front door, right? Right, <laughs> um, that's right. How, how would they access the, the the Flint Center now, given the position of this building? Yeah, good question. Uh, there is space in between. If they opened up the you know the, the fenced off gates, they could they could allow people in between to walk through, and then maybe when they come out, they open the door to the to the new building and let people into the building. Mm, yeah, very interesting. It is very interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, well, that's what, that's what makes this so fascinating a topic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so we, we're talking now about what what we think Apple's going to do on Tuesday. And I have a bit of a scoop. Well, oh, really? Oh, wow. Oh, it's not really a new scoop. I'm going to shut I, up. I just realized, well, I just realized it's, I thought it was a scoop, but I'm just looking at the date stamp on the post. I posted a thing on Twitter just a f- few minutes ago. Um, this is Tuesday or Wednesday night when we're recording. Um that uh, somebody in the latest version of uh, Xcode 6, I don't know if we can talk about this. You know, I guess we can. It's, on, it's online. Um, somebody noticed that there's a new default size of um, 1400 by 736, which would translate in Retina to 828 by 1472, which they're predicting might be the size of the new iPhone 6. Okay, like the 4.7-inch version? Um, that nah, you don't know how that works out. Okay, well, what's the aspect ratio of that? Is it a mm. is it a phone aspect ratio or a pad? Break out your calculator. calculator. Mm. So, so, so John the, the iPad Maxi, maybe. Oh. Well, that's <laughs> lower resolution than the Retina iPad. Right? Okay, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So Gruber published a post last week about um, all these various uh, speculations around the size of the uh, sure. iPhone, yeah. and uh, his his final conclusion was that um, I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know the exact numbers, but that it would be an, a two x resolution for the four point seven inch iPhone and a three x resolution on the five point five, um, and that's that's even if you can still like I still can't swallow the idea of a five and a half inch iPhone, but uh, there's a lot of smoke around that. Um, as for the actual pixel sizes, um, I, you know, I don't get too excited about that, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, but it, it does, it does sort of raise a, raise a, a question about what we were talking about in the last couple of weeks about the fact that we're going to be supporting different sizes again. Um, and that was, was adapted layout as it was called. Uh, adapted yep, UI adapted yeah, with the adapted, size classes. Yeah, size mm-hmm. classes, adapted UI um, to support different size devices, right? So, um, yeah, well, it, it like I yeah, like that's what it comes back to. It doesn't matter what the size of a thing is anymore. Uh, right. If if uh, if we developers are building our apps correctly, then uh, the app can or the phone can be whatever size it likes, and we'll just fit the space. I think I'll be specific on mine on what I think is going to happen. I, th- I think they will have the 4.7 inch iPhone six. Yeah. Um, I'm not as convinced of the 5.5 if they. If they do come up with something like that, I don't think it's this year. I think it's more something that they're they're testing the waters. Um, I I do think, especially with the the special building that they're creating, I, I do think that a wearable of some sort is coming. Uh, especially with their uh, their you know their little tease in the invitation uh, for the press. Uh, there's always a little bit of a more. hint. Yeah, yeah, think? exactly. Which, which sounds a lot like app. like Siri, right? It sounds sounds like something that you would naturally use um, for home automation and for uh, a wearable, having a an easy to access microphone. 
uh, without like, having to walk around with your phone in your hand. Turn on the lights. <laughs> you, you just say, turn on the lights, and the lights come on, something like that. You know, the thing that worries me about that is that it's going to require a constellation of other gadgets, right, to put in your house, right? So, like, I'm going to need special light bulbs, and I'm going to need special, like, uh, you know, uh, thermostats and special smoke detectors and... Um, well, you know, yeah, and, and it raises hydraulic the, actuators on the doors. It raises that. It raises uh, Jaime's point about the white first world problems too, right? That uh... they're making our home more like the Jetsons, um, you know, minus you know the uh, automatons that do all our work for us. And I wish they would make that. <laughs> You're right, and that definitely is a first world problem. Um, that's that's sort of where Apple plays, though, isn't it? Because they're they're playing at the high end. This isn't you know intended to be. Um, you know, the mid to, to low range end of the market. I, I definitely think, especially from an early adopter standpoint, it'll be uh, the high end of the market. Folks who are, are buying the brand new iPhone 6 um, and not somebody who's still hanging around with a, an iPhone 4. I kind of wonder if it will, I mean, it, I, I'm not sure it will require whole new gadgets um, in, in, in many cases, uh, at least for turning on and off lights and, and simple, you know, binary things. There are, uh, special plugs that you can put in that sits in between, um, I don't know, like your TV and and the electric uh, outlet. And there are connectors you can put in for the bulbs that will switch on and off the electricity depending on a, a command coming from a, a Wi-Fi-enabled system. Yeah, of course. Those those things have been around for years. But the fact is is that most people don't own them. So like the, the play that Apple's going to make on the at their announcement assuming that they do this right but they're going to have to make the case not only for the thing you wear that's going to command these devices but the devices themselves maybe so, they're going after home home depot <laughs> maybe it just seems incredible depot, yeah. yeah well maybe home depot will sell this stuff oh it's true yeah you know uh so that would be great but you know like okay to take full advantage of this technology not only do i have to buy the three four five hundred dollar smartwatch or whatever you call it, uh, but also hundreds of dollars worth of other gadgets that I got to plug into every receptacle. And but light but who says they have to be the same thing, right? There's there's HomeKit and there's HealthKit. Not that that necessarily means anything, but they could be just completely separate product lines that are both being introduced at the same time. So there could be the wearables, and there could there could be the home automation, which is completely separate. You know, I think that they'll both be features that that this wearable can can help you with. Um, but you know what's what's it going to be for for the health part? Maybe maybe the building's a little hospital. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I thought it was where they're going to land the drones when they deliver. When you order your iPhone, the drones will take off from there. Um, or, or maybe this is where they'll have the the giant Apple TV set up. <laughs> you, mean the, you mean the Apple TV station? Well, that too. <laughs> So I'm not sure if I think Aaron or somebody posted this online and I saw it today that Samsung's apparently announced a new phone, a new four with, I sent a link to you guys just now. Yep. Yeah. I see. Uh, on uh, Samsung's introduced a phone with a curved screen so you can actually see the edge of the screen. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a TV report on it. It looks pretty cool. I have to say. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's crap. Come on, it's well, Samsung and it's no, crap. I know it's crap. Yes. crap. I know it's crap but the, yes. thing, the thing about it is, people buy crap, right? Oh, so, do they ever? Yeah. They buy whatever the, the the guy at the carrier store tells them to buy. Oh, but wait, I just realized it's got a, style, a stylus too. Of course, it has a stylus. S pen, spen, spen. Uh, Sorry, you know spend. it's Ooh. the thing is on one side of the screen. Um, they have no idea what to use it for. Um, nobody will ever support it in any number uh, in terms of developers. 
Um, oh, because, yeah, it's only Left-handers need not right? apply. Yeah. And um, actually, the other thing that Samsung announced today was a new Galaxy Wear watch uh, with an, with also with a curved screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I think, their seventh smartwatch this year. Um, and obviously positioned to preempt Apple's announcement on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, this is the time of year when, when everybody announces their, their new gadgets, right? So, Well, especially if Apple's doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I swear to God, Samsung has, like, a bucket in Seoul. And when when the time is right, they just say, look, throw that thing out of the bucket and put it on the market. <laughs> and none of these devices, like this this new Galaxy phone with the curved screen, the edge, uh, or the watch, um, have um, availability or pricing announced to them. Um, they're they're just little little fantasies distributed to reviewers um, with a little you know flash. Here's what it looks like, and then put it away. And we don't even know if it's going to hit the market. That's not what Apple does. That's not how they work, right? Like when they come out with an announcement, they're like, "Yeah, you can buy this today or next week." Or if it's a brand new product like the phone or the iPad or this watch, wearable, uh, maybe in a few months. Right. Uh, it's interesting. I'm just looking at a, a, the site right now to see what predict- predictions are, and and there's not much. I mean, Health Kit, obviously Home Kit, you know, iOS eight and Yosemite, which we already knew about. You know, some something to do with Apple TV, right? No, Although, that's crazy. Yeah, I, you're not you're I, not going to see that. It would be nice to see them do something with that because those those machines have gotten old and crusty. I mean, that's a that's a very very old archaic design. It's kind of been I left agree. in the dust by Roku and uh, and even Amazon's Fire TV. Right. Ooh, I cool. think that they'll probably when they do bump that, it, it probably won't merit an event. Um, more likely that they'll just announce it one day. Hmm. New UI, upgraded hardware, uh, but essentially does the same thing. It doesn't solve you know, any of the real problems that the Apple TV has. That's a good topic for a show, by the way. <laughs> what, Apple TV in general? The, the real problems with the Apple TV. I see. Uh, you could talk about things like uh, the channel selection, the lack of uh, third-party API support, um, a store, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, things uh, that other competitors are doing that uh, the Apple TV doesn't. Just in the idle speculation realm, uh, Apple still hasn't released the... 4k display that the mac pro yes really good about uh, about driving so maybe yeah. the new apple tv will have a 4k display and actually be that? a television set and is what a- you're actually saying. be a television set yeah wow yeah. wouldn't that be something yeah gene must <clears throat> gene munster will explode with joy yeah <laughs> i think for that very reason they'll never do it well, I was going to say I was going to say it's unlikely too because the proliferation of of, app, of TVs out in the marketplace. I can't imagine that Apple would ever try and get into that market. They're they're much more, much too intelligent for that. To be honest with you. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I just can't see them doing a television set. Uh, but another display like replace that aging Thunderbolt display, right? Right. With a high resolution panel, and now we're talking. Mm-hmm, God, mm-hmm. I sell so many of those. I'd almost buy one immediately. So we, earlier we were talking about some extensions. We, we touched on uh, one password and using uh, using the new extensibility in iOS eight. And one of the things on people's wish list for a long time have been uh, being able to customize the keyboard on uh, iOS eight. And I think one of the at three sixty i they have one of the demo apps that I saw was, was related to uh, somebody creating a, a keyboard. But um, Jaime, you posted something about uh, a new 
keyboard alternative for iOS 8? Yes. So uh, in addition to, I think, some of the stalwarts that are out there, and I think Swipe is one of them, and SwiftKey, I want to say, is one of the other ones that comes to mind. That's correct, SwiftKey. Um, Toronto has also now produced uh, this startup named Minuum that's doing kind of an interesting take on the on the keyboard where uh, and the the TechCrunch article that we'll put in the show notes it really has a great animated gif on this where depending on what you're doing parts of that keyboard expand or contract so if you're typing out actual letters that you know you can expand the uh qwerty keyboard piece to to be larger and, and actual tappable but if you're doing more autocomplete or emoji type stuff that actually switches over to a, a very different look and feel. So that's kind of an exciting and, and, and different way of doing things than uh, I think some of the other standard keyboards that I've seen. Great period of, of innovation in text input for iOS. Um, having having the, the new keyboard uh, extensibility options there, uh, we've seen a number of keyboards that have existed on Android, um, uh, SwiftKey and um, Swipe being the two big ones. Um, and, uh, Minimum actually already exists on Android. Um, they're available in the Google play store. Yeah. So if you, if you have one of those things, you can actually try it today. Um, but, uh, in big fruit mag, the, uh, newsletter that I publish every week, I covered another one that, uh, has not existed in, uh, Android and it's called QuickBoard, And, um, it's basically like a, um, a type it for me or, um, What's that other one called? That's really big on iOS, actually. Uh, that does uh, auto completion. All right. Okay. Um, and basically, what it does is allows you to create uh, macros or sets of of content that you can rapidly drop into uh, text fields. Mm. Um, and it's a very interesting take on how to get text into your iPhone. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of this stuff too as the, as the years go on. So. Uh, I'm really excited about this kind of feature. So uh, I just love seeing these keyboards and I want more. Okay, well, we're just about to wrap it up for the, another week. And so before, why don't we go around the table again and um, see if anybody has any uh, technologies or app uh, app discoveries they've made over the last little while. Okay, I, I wouldn't mind uh, just mentioning briefly uh, Overcast. Um oh, brought yeah. this up on the pre-show and... As you know, it, as everyone knows, Overcast is uh, iPhone only uh, at present. I believe Marco is planning an iPad version. Um, I actually installed Overcast on my iPad, um, you know, as an iPhone app at 2X. And I did that because I like to have the choice, depending on whatever device I happen to have on me, um, of playing my podcasts on the iPad or on my phone. And Overcast, because it has um, a web-based sync engine, um, will sync the play position between devices. So um, it actually works pretty well on the iPad, uh, you know, aside from the fact that it's an iPhone app on an iPad screen, which sucks. But um, while the syncing works really great, um, you, if, if, the, if the podcast exists on your phone and on your iPad, the play position is is synchronized almost instantly. So I could basically hit pause on one device, pick up the other device, and pick up right where I left off, and that's terrific. Um, but I think there's there's still some work that needs to be done in terms of uh, getting the episodes of any given podcast to download to the device. Um, I've I've been having just the last few days so many troubles um, getting episodes um, to download. 
uh, on my iPhone, uh, which were downloaded fine on my iPad, mm. um, I would come into my, my my podcast list, and the podcasts are there, but they're not downloaded. And I would hit download, and it would just kind of hang at 1%. Yeah, so I've, I've had to kill Overcast probably every two to three days, I would suppose. Um, and I'd have the similar thing where I'd get a push notification that I have a new episode ready, and I go in, and it's just sort of stuck in the waiting to download thing. Um, so yeah, I suspect yeah. that there's probably something wrong in the background fetch code. Because uh, once yeah, I, once I kill the app and restart it, everything just magically works. But that wasn't like I tried that too, and it didn't help. Um, I, I it's just and it's, the funny part is that I'll get a download going, and then it'll be incredibly slow. Um, and that was going on with two different podcasts at the same time. Like it was to the point where I literally took my iPad for uh, a, my walk with my dog last night, right? Because I didn't have the podcast on my iPhone. So I, I was carrying my, my <laughs> iPad Air. So now you know what it's like to have a larger iPhone, right? Yes, I do. And uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> were, were you taking photos with that iPad as well? <laughs> like an animal. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's funny. I carry my I, I can fit my, my iPad mini in my winter coat pocket, which I think is great. So I don't, I don't mind doing that myself. Yeah, well, this is an Air. You know, we don't have pockets. Oh, you have an large. Air? Oh, I think yeah, that's like you were talking about your mini. Oh, no, 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 right, no. Right. It's an Air. Yeah, so you need a backpack for that, right? Definitely ridiculous. Um, anyway, like I don't want to. I don't want to rag on Overcast. It's it's a great app. I really enjoy it, and it's got features that I really appreciate. Um, and I'm sure that Marco's on top of this. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to make people aware that that was happening. Well, he probably listens to this podcast, so he'll. Oh, to- he'll of totally, course, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to chime in here on on the smart speed feature, uh, oh, which yeah. has been great for me. And, and I'm looking right now at the settings, and it says that it has saved me an extra 19 hours of time for the, my podcast. Wow, you listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> so, but my question to you guys is, is I, I used to, I just been using the podcast app from Apple. It, that you think you don't think it syncs between, uh, between listens between devices. It, it definitely does. Yes. Oh, it does. Okay. okay. Yeah, it does. It's, that's not the problem. The problem is, yeah, syncing works great. Um, is, is actually getting the downloads to work. It's no, I'm not talking about the overcast. I'm talking about the podcast oh. app, the po- you know, from Apple, the podcast. Oh, my, my apologies. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. No, I, I have no idea. I don't use it. Okay. Well, I, I, it's the only one I know of and, you know, I'm sure Mark doesn't know of any other one either. So, um, not being, not nope. being hip and happening like you guys are. <laughs> Can't be tamed. Sorry. I can't be tamed. <laughs> okay. Um, Jaime, do you have anything to uh, drop on our listeners for the week? Yeah, it's it's not exactly a new technology. Um, it's been out for probably several months. Um, but Facebook tweaks is actually something that I've incorporated into a project. Um, hmm. I, there was actually a, a session on that at 360 iDev last week, part of the Facebook pop um, session. Sure. Um, but tweaks is, is pretty nifty. Um, it makes it really easy to have values stored in and what's essentially a, a P list is, is how it functions under the, the covers. Um, but let's say you you have several animations or several colors that you're trying to play around with in your app. And let's say you're, you're not in charge of determining what that should be. It's pretty easy to create a special build and, just hand it over to a product manager or a UX designer or a CEO of your company and say, Hey, like 
here was my first cut of this animation. You know, here's how bouncy this little star is. Um, if you want to play around with it, just shake your phone and this UI comes up that lets you go in and change the values of, okay, well, instead of one second, maybe it should be a two second animation. Maybe the friction should be a little bit different. Maybe the bounciness should be a little bit different. Um, and then it's pretty easy for them to export that value and send you an email with a, I think it's an attached P list if I'm not mistaken. So now I can go in and say, oh, okay, well, here's the actual values I'm going to put into code. Yeah. So it kind of helps save from the, you know, kill the app, recompile, start it again, or having to go through the effort of, okay, let me go into a server configuration, change this, run it again. It, it's something that's pretty easy for, for people to use while they're on the go. So, Mark, do you have anything to, uh, any technologies to add? Uh, nope. Any apps? Nothing? nothing? Just uh, swing copters, but playing that incessantly. No. Well, oh, it, game. Well, no, <laughs> oh, hey, my well, God. Well, this is, this is uh, what, what Aaron just told me was called a FU, so FU Aaron. Um, yep. I was just uh, looking at that today on App Annie. So we talked about it last week having, you know, being featured on the front page of Apple and being in like the number one, almost nearly the number one spot on the App Store. But um, and every Thursday, um, Apple refreshes the content that's on the store. So obviously we've had we've had a actually they'll be refreshing tomorrow. But I was interested to see that um, it's being featured in 485 places in iTunes on the iPhone and iPad as well. And it's it's on 158 times on various iTunes um, homepages around the world. That's quite a bit of coverage. And even and even though it's not on not on the front page of the App Store today, it's still it that's the leftover from the push that Apple put on it last week. And when I look at the reviews and ratings, this is disgusting. Are you sitting down, Aaron? Yes, yes, I am. Hit me. Twenty seven thousand ratings. What's the average? Uh, 3.5 stars. <laughs> wow. The current Stop. version is 77 ratings. He just, he just released a he's version today. He's updated it a couple of times. Yeah, he's got four stars today, and he's got 77 ratings already. And this is, he updated it like sometime today. 27,000 ratings in a week and a half. Yeah. Well, That's wow. What's interesting from the, the point of view of it being front and center on the App Store is that uh, if you look closely, the ads are all iAds. They're not Google at all. Yeah, that's new, isn't it? Oh, really? Yep. Oh. Yeah, I thought so. Very new, yes. Yeah, that's why I mean, it's that's, a feature too. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> clearly something going on there, some kind of deal where they, you know, Apple featured them in, in response to only using iAds. Well, it's, I don't know it's, if that's controversial. I don't think that's a very controversial thing to say. I think Apple makes deals with a lot of developers. Yeah, true. Yeah. It seems like a reasonable thing to do as a platform owner too. Well, and, sure. and and easily, easily, like I said before, it sells more phones. It, it actually, it actually does uh, put Apple in a good position from a point of view of, of it's an app that's in demand. I mean, every platform needs to have a killer app in some shape or form, right? So, and the iPhone is such a hodgepodge of, of different things. You know, back in the '90s when when computers were new. You bought a computer because you wanted Lotus One Two Three, or you bought a computer because you wanted WordPerfect, or you bought it because you wanted PageMaker and you wanted to get into design and stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, still every every little bit of uh, buzz helps Apple sell phones, so of course they're going to get behind it, right? So, the yeah. other app store. 
The other app store, yes. That was episode TM. two or three, I think. Yeah, we're going to register. Mm-hmm. We, we should register that domain. What the hell, eh? Why not? Um, well, I All read... the good it'll do us because nobody will be there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just us four lonely developers, right? I'm the EOR of software development. Yeah, yeah. Nobody likes us. <laughs> Um, so my contribution today is a game I've been playing for the last week or so, well, yeah, just literally the last week and it's Star Wars Commander and I've been playing Clash of Clans since um, cr- just before Christmas of last year when my grandsons, you know, started playing it and we decided to form our little little family clan and, um, you know, playing it for a while and it's it's a freemium game that progressively gets harder and harder and harder and the annoying thing about Clash of Clans is, is when you're playing, is other people, when you're not playing the game, can come and steal your steal your stuff. They, they only have access to a small percentage of what you have. But it, it, as you get further into the game, it becomes really frustrating to try and gain any new ground because the 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 amount of you know coins or gems or, or, or elixirs you have to have get to be so huge that it takes days and days and days to get them and. Any upgrades you do take a long, long time. We talked about this before, I think, in, in respect to other apps. But, so I'm a big Star Wars fan. So anything Star Wars related, I'm gonna I'm gonna at least look at. You know, if not if not, start playing. The thing about Star Wars Commander though is 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 it is it, when I started playing it, I started looking at it and from the from the game board and the gameplay and the rules and the way the game functions. All right, it, it's like it literally looks like they went to the Clash of Clans people uh, supercell. Bought their engine, skin, you know, threw in some uh, new skins to basically make the new players change, tweaked a few rules, and away you go. And I was surprised, and and it, you know, was a John Williams soundtrack. So to me, it's like okay, I could listen to it all day long. But the surprising thing I found out about it was it is not in any way, shape, or form related to anything by Supercell. It's actually produced by Disney and LucasArts, and it's it's like as if a company with more money than God went and built an app that is a complete clone of a number one app on the app store. I mean, this is, it's, I mean, I mean, that's incredible. And whose goal, by the way, is to generate more money than God. Well, exactly. And, and first of all, they're, they're working with like one of the number one franchises in the world, arguably, right? Um, you know, soon we'll have a doctor who version of this game coming out. I'm no doubt, (laughs) you know, Anybody who's familiar with Clash of Clans who plays this game for you know any any length of time will immediately see what I'm talking about. That it is a complete and blatant ripoff. You know, shameful. It is. I mean, but not surprising, right? I mean, yeah. we all we all want to be shocked, shocked that <sighs> this happened. I know, eh? but there's nobody here on this podcast is surprised by this, <laughs> except me. Uh, really? Come on. Well, no, I, 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 I generally thought, okay, well, yeah, the, the easiest thing for them to do would have been gone over, go over to Supercell and, and put down a bag of money and say, we'd like your engine, we're going to put Star Wars on it. And and I would think that, you know, the Clash of Clans folks would be happy to do that, right? I mean, that's what Angry Birds guys did. They went, oh, you know, LucasArts sure. approached them and they did the same thing, you know? And, you know, lo- people love the Star Wars version of Angry Birds, but... You know, they did it honestly and above the table. And and one of the things I put in the show notes to you guys when we were talking about what topics we're going to talk about is that at least Microsoft had the decency to change Windows enough so it wasn't a blatant ripoff of the Mac OS. <laughs> Sorry, I got spray on my microphone there. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Well, look at this. They put the start menu at the bottom of the screen instead of the top, right? And all the file menus and stuff like that are actually attached to the windows, not to the top of the screen. So it's different, totally right? Totally different operating Exactly, system. exactly. And neither one of them stole anything from Xerox alter system, right? Oh, don't even get me started on that. 
Okay. <laughs> that's, that's where you end the, just end the podcast right there. That was my favorite scene from Pirates of Silicon Valley. Which is which one? <laughs> where Steve Jobs and Bill Gates are talking about, you know, who stole from who. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that Apple, Apple made a deal with Xerox. You know, we're going to come in and look at your stuff yeah. because we want to commercialize it. Right. You guys have no interest in it. So we're, we made a deal. Right. You know? Okay. So n- nobody, nobody stole from Xerox. Right. Okay. You know, Microsoft stole from Apple. But, but did Microsoft Apple, make a deal with... Because with, they also went and looked at the, at the Altar system at the same time, around the same Microsoft time. Microsoft did? Yeah. No, that's that's news to me. Yeah, so, you know, definitely. It's, 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 in, it's in the lore. It's the carved lore. in the stones, you know, up, oh. up on the hill in, in Cupertino. Hmm. Yeah, no, apparently Microsoft, Bill Gates, and, and gang went, went over there as well and, and had a look at it, so... Well... Every story I've heard suggests that Bill Gates uh, crapped his pants when he saw the Macintosh. Right, right. Um, so, uh, how much? How much did he get from Xerox? Oh boy, this is ancient history, man. I know, eh? We're putting we're putting the kids to sleep. That's what's good and, about this and, podcast. Yeah, right back here, and we're talking about about Lucas Arts ripoff of Clash of the Clans, um, a douchebag stealing from a douchebag. Lucas Lucas Arts yeah. or, or Disney? Sorry, Disney, you know. Really? This is what you're saying, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, you know, part part of the 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 sentiment that started our our podcast wasn't the purpose of our podcast. The purpose of our podcast is talk about iOS development and iOS businesses and being indie and not being indie and that kind of stuff. But the the very first episode we talked about the fact that it's impossible for indies to survive in the spirit that we all thought we were going to be, you know, uh, indie back in back in the, the early 2008. It's like Burning Man is no longer the, the the festival it was supposed to be. It's now a collection of rich kids, right? It's gone corporate, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a lousy way to end a podcast, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> with a with a cold bucket of reality. <laughs> that's our ALS challenge right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Okay, well... Let's button her up here, Tim. <laughs> yeah, so Aaron, where can people find you? In the usual spots, Aaron.Vey, V-E-G-H dot C-A. That's my blog, at AaronVey on Twitter. I'm not going to tell you my app.net because it doesn't matter anymore. And my weekly news magazine, BigFruitMag.net. And Jaime, where can people find you? On Twitter, it's uh, at Dev of the Hair. Also on app.net, uh, just me and Manton Reese palling around as the only ones left. I add Dev of the Hair. <laughs> and, uh, and also uh, at my blog at devwithahair.com. And Mark, where can people find you? Uh, same place, www.smapsoft.com or markr at smapsoft.com or at smapsoft on Twitter. And once again, as I said at the top of the show, my name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario. I host this podcast on my website uh, www.itguy.com that's it-guy.com and hopefully you found the podcast there or through one of our tweets or you found us through Apple and you subscribe to our podcast and hopefully you give us a good rating and write some reviews for our podcast tell all your friends retweet our broadcast and you know because it really does help and that also goes for all of our apps um, that we produce. You know, reviews do help, and they do get the word out. So, once again, we'll see you guys next week, and we'll take it from there. So, say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.